Welcome to episode six of the Never Give Up podcast brought to you by Reset My Future, the team with over 30 years of experience in the substance abuse field. We all know that exercise is good for our physical health, but what do we know about how it positively impacts our mental health? And what does this mean for people in recovery who are putting in the extra work to find balance in the mind and body? Today, Graham Alford, founder of Reset My Future, will be talking to Charlotte Skogsberg, psychologist, Ayurveda practitioner and yoga trainer, an expert with perfectly well-rounded knowledge on today's topic. Today we've got a fascinating guest. We've got Charlotte Skogsberg, who has got a fascinating journey. She's not in recovery herself, but her work and background and what she's doing now in regards to mind, body and soul is really aligned with a lot of the things we do at Reset My Future. So I'm excited to have Charlotte on the line and to get us going, Charlotte, tell us a bit about your background and how you arrived in Bali and what led you to be doing what you're currently doing now. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much, Graham. So Originally, I have actually a training in clinical psychology and was destined to work in the field of therapeutical work mainly, and for different reasons, ended up in human resources for several years. So very different to that, actually, even though you, you'd imagine that it could um, correspond quite well. After having continued in the world of, let's say, corporations for a few years, I really felt that there was a need to find that maybe a more soulful journey or professional activity that I have originally started out with, with psychology. And so I kind of just left the whole corporation and the human resources profession and became a yoga teacher. And I don't even think that the link between psychology and yoga back then was obvious to me. It was more actually once I started working as a yoga teacher that I understood this. And one of the most fascinating things that I find when I work with students in, in yoga is just how much actually everything from our psyche is just manifested and transformed in the way, well, in the way that we hold ourselves up, in the way that our body transforms in life, and also how we deal with any kind of practice, physical practice, whether it's yoga or anything else. And so I think that it was more the fact of working as a yoga teacher that had me finally loop back into the field of psychology. And I wasn't making the connection as a natural thing to start with. And finally, I realized that it works so perfectly well together because after all, it's two approaches to healing in whatever way we want to look at it, but just seen from different perspectives, from a much more ancient perspective of the East and the modern mind with the view from the Western world in psychology. And they, they just marry together so well because they actually complement each other very well. And so I moved to Bali because I had crush on Bali since many years and, and really just wanted to come back again and, and live here. And what's really interesting as well with Bali is that you do encounter all these all these people who arrive here, whether it's to stay for a few weeks or to actually end up staying for months or years, like, well, like I'm not the only one who've done that, right? But all of them have this thing in common where there's a reason that you come here, actually. And there is some kind of seeking in why you end up in Bali. And so I found that it's so fascinating just teaching yoga, first of all, and noticing just how much comes up for people. And, and it's got a very feminine energy. And so it also allows, I think, for this space 
to allow for those things to be verbalized for people as well. The way that maybe in the West, we don't really allow for them because we go to a yoga class and it's in between, you know, a meeting at that time and then there's something else and then there's traffic and then there's this and that. And so we don't really allow for that space, for the heart space to be, which is easier here, I guess, in a certain way. It's interesting because I wanted to really explore two areas with you, uh, yoga and physical exercise. So now that you've opened the door with the yoga, I was never a fan of yoga. I was brought up in a very male, alpha male culture. Real men drank and real men fixed their own problems. Suck it up, sunshine. That's how it should be. And, and when we started the retreats up in Bali three or four years ago, I wasn't not in favour of it. But anyway, I said, look, Graham, got to have yoga. I said, all right, we'll have some yoga. So we had an hour session every morning and I'd had a knee replacement. So I was using that as an excuse not to do yoga. On one of the early retreats, I had this 68-year-old businessman and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, if I don't do yoga, he won't do it. So I'm going to have to do it. So I started doing it. And about eight or 10 days later, I thought, I'm feeling better, moving better and whatever. So when I came back to Australia, I kept doing it. And when I came back, I was walking down the aisle of the villa and the yoga teacher, Darren, saw me and he said, you've been doing the yoga since you left here. And I said, how can you tell? And he said, I can tell by the way you're walking. Anyway, I've continued to do it for three years now. And I probably do, I don't know, maybe six sessions a week of about 20 minutes each. And in particular, I really like breathing and the mindfulness part of it. And I'm now a huge advocate for that for people who've got substance issues and are in recovery. So I'm interested, even though you're not in recovery yourself, in your thoughts on how it would help people, because people who are in uh, substance abuse, whether it's alcohol or drugs, their head's a can of worms when they start on the journey. They're frightened, they're scared, they're not sure it's going to work. They're being introduced to new ways and they've got to change old habits. There's all sorts of different things and they can become very anxious and, and nervous, etc. How do you think yoga can assist them? Oh, wow. That's such an interesting question. I think that, of course, for people in recovery, but in a certain way, if we look at the world we look, live in today, we're all in this kind of post-traumatic stress disorder anyway. We're all in some kind of recovery. And I would say in two ways I would like to respond to that question. So first of all, very often when we starting some kind of healing work, soothing work with ourselves, we tend to want to be at the goal from the beginning, right? We don't really have the patience to actually do the work to lead up to there, which is why, for instance, most people who try, let's say, meditation for the first time just stop doing it because it's really very hard. And the reason why meditation is very hard to do for someone who's never really done it before is because we are not used to being still. We're not used to being still physically and we're not used to being still mentally and emotionally. And when we then try to do that, what happens is that everything that we were kind of covering up while we were being active, no matter what it is that we're active with, well, since we stop that, we allow for what's going on inside our heads to become louder. And that's really difficult because, well, we haven't really dealt with it before. And it's quite overwhelming if it's all coming over us when we're trying to sit down in stillness. So 
If we start, for instance, with the yogic practice before we come into sitting down with our own thoughts, what we learn is that because we're still in a relatively closed and peaceful environment, but that we're moving our body and that we're combining it, just like you said, with the breath and with the mindfulness, as in, if I don't focus on what I'm doing, I might do it wrong or I might fall or it doesn't work, right? Actually, what it is, it's this progressive work towards learning how to concentrate just a little bit longer and just a little bit more, let's say, intensely. So in that sense, for someone who is, let's say, in the beginning of trying to find some kind of peace with themselves, it is this much gentler way of dealing with oneself on the journey. So it's step by step. I'm learning to be a little bit more still. I'm learning to be a little bit more in touch with how my breath goes when I'm moving my body. And I start also to notice things like sensations, physical sensations that are not happening because I am ingesting anything, right? It is actually coming from the inside telling me things instead of me trying to trigger, for instance, a certain state. So it's also as we learn to concentrate, we also become more aware of, well, just our own bodies, actually. And the second thing that I really find is essential is the fact that it is a practice of regulating our nervous system, which for most people, and even more so, of course, when you're starting a journey of recovery, is the nervous system is quite dysregulated, right? And so it's really challenging as well to do a lot of things when you don't know how to regulate, how to calm your nervous system down. And the practice, physical practice, combining with what you're focusing on and how your breath is doing is really this way, learning to control how the nervous system reacts in different situations. In regard to physical exercise, how important is that for anyone? But again, with a slant towards people who are coming off drugs or alcohol or both. I think it's so essential. We have this tendency to make a difference between body and mind, right? Even though it's actually one and the same thing. So in order to deal with anything in life, we are far more prone to succeed if we come from a space of, I want to say homeostasis or balance. If we come from a place where we can deal with something in a calm way, we are definitely setting ourselves up for success much more, right? And of course, a physical well-being is quite essential to a mental and an emotional well-being. Simply for the nervous system, as I was mentioning earlier on, I have one of my teachers, he said this uh, expression that I always remind my students of as well. He said, friends, remember to always stay calm because the mind that finds a problem is the same mind that will find the solution, but it will only find the solution when it's calm and collected. And what he means by that is basically, of course, if we are just this bundle of nerves in our physical body, we will find it really hard to deal with anything that is an external condition that we cannot control 
we will react to everything instead of simply acting according to what we want. So when we have a physical well-being, we set ourselves up for allowing for the mental, that space actually that we create when we can act instead of just react. And also I find that just a simple fact of creating physical strength in our body, that is something that I think is probably uh, essential in recovery. And I find myself as well, when I say recovery, it also makes me think of some of the women that I've worked with who are recovering, for instance, from eating disorders. It is to actually feel self-empowered in what you do, because I think that a lot of a lot of addictions, no matter what we're talking about, are very much linked to a feeling of helplessness as well. And so just the fact of learning to feel that you can control how your body is acting and then building up the strength just in your physical muscles will increase your sensation of self-empowering and therefore to deal with the feeling of helplessness. Danny, you are in recovery. I know you are an avid surfer. What part of the journey has physical exercise played for you and how important has it been? Well, hi, Graham. Um, thanks, Charlotte. That was really interesting. As you know, Graham, I've been wanting to do a podcast on this topic for a while. Exercise, it's a very important part of recovery for me, you know, and I like to talk about it a lot. And I am thrilled that we got Charlotte on because all I can tell you is that I know that exercise works for me. I couldn't tell you why, and I couldn't tell you anything that has just been said. It has purely been a learning experience for me. You know, before this podcast, I was actually just thinking about how many years ago I I got sober from running. So I actually got sober many years ago by just getting out after work every day and going for a 10K run. And I did that every day for two years. I didn't do anything else in recovery. You know, I didn't. I wasn't in a program. I didn't go to meetings. I didn't have a sober support group or anything at all. That was purely it. Now, I obviously didn't stay sober. That's why I then found myself into a different type of recovery. But I knew there was something in that. You know, I knew that there was something that had, had helped me and supported me. And it was more than what I was doing physically to my body. It was what was happening during my mind while I was experiencing that run. Something was shifting for me and it became a necessity and yeah I mean you mentioned surfing now so yeah many years later after that I I'm very active now in my recovery and I I go surfing every morning I go to the gym I do yoga <laughs> and I often hear people say things like I need a meeting you know I need to go to a meeting every day every week whatever it is whatever they have found that works for them and and I've very often said and I've said it on previous podcasts you know I think recovery is such an individual journey and I'm I am very new into it and I'm still continuing to do this exploration of what I think works for me but as much as I hear other people say that they need to go to a meeting or they need to call a sponsor or they I need to go surfing I need to (laughs) this is it's not necessarily an enjoyment thing for me although of course it is I love it which is why I do it but there is something that settles me when I do that every morning I almost find it a form of meditation it's like I can have all the problems in the world I might feel that morning and then when my feet hit the water it's like I leave them all on the shore and for that period of time for you know an hour and a half two hours I feel completely at peace with nature I feel like none of those problems are actually problems anymore and my mind just calms and it stays that stays with me you know for many hours of the day 
I think it's great to hear the, the reasons behind it. I can't give you any of the reasons behind it. I can just tell you that it works really well for me. And and I know a lot of people that come into recovery will often they struggle. You know, I always I always try to encourage and persuade people to just go out and do something. You know, I, I think I was quite fortunate in that even when I was drinking, I still had a little bit of activity in me. <laughs> and so it wasn't really that hard for me to start enjoying it again. But for many people, they haven't done any at all. You know, so I always try and encourage that a bit. And I also thought it was really interesting what Charlotte was saying earlier about the distraction part. You know, I knew that there was a part of me that actually was doing it for pure distraction. Yeah, when I when I first left rehab, I went and stayed with my parents and I went to the gym three times a day. Uh, I would more or less get home from the gym, shower, have something to eat and get changed and go to the gym again because I just couldn't sit with myself. I didn't know what to do if I wasn't keeping active. You know, they call it gym junkie, don't they? You know, one of those replacements. But I know it was a distraction, but it was a distraction that worked. It was a, a distraction that I needed at that moment in time. Charlotte, I got sober in jail way back in 1982. I was doing a long sentence and I, uh, I finished up doing four and a half years, but I exercised every day and I found that it relaxed me and uh, that I slept better, but I, I felt a sense of achievement as the exercise increased. What's the psychological base behind that? Well, I think that actually as simple as giving that time to you, so let's say it actually becomes a routine, right? Physical activity that I have, no matter what it is, actually, anything that pleases us, really, and that I'm making into a routine. So it's something, it's, it becomes a habit. And in that time, what we do is, so let's say it's an hour, it's two hours in the day, I am actually giving importance to myself. And what happens is that while I'm doing that, I am also creating those kind of neuropathways in my brain that allows me to, for lack of a better word, practice self-love. I know that a lot of people cringe and so do I as well sometimes when I hear that word. So we could also just use the word self-acceptance, actually investing in your own proper health. And so the fact of doing that then as a routine means that you're actually progressively increasing that neuropathway of self-investment which naturally then makes it that it's easier outside of the routine of the physical activity to feel that way about oneself as well. I, and it just made me thought, think as well, a lot of people that I encounter who are doing really poorly, who really are depressed or, well, as I mentioned, the, the eating disorders, for instance, one of the first things that I tell them is to start some kind of routine. And for sure, the ones with eating disorders, I tell them not to go for a run. But it could also be something really soft and gentle. It doesn't have to be something that pushes too hard. It depends on the person, right? But to create a routine for oneself and to install that into an everyday thing, because that way you start to create that self-worth, actually, inside of you. The program we've designed is for people who are still functioning. And I find that I've got a whole cohort of clients around 40 plus who have worked ridiculous hours non-stop seven days a week and their diet suffers and of course their physical exercise suffers and then they start using alcohol to relax and cocaine to get themselves up and about. Have you got any tips on how they can slow down and, and start to clear their head and get more balance? What do they need to do? 
apart from getting off the alcohol and the drugs. <laughs> apart from that, right? It's because the thing is, I think that there's obviously there's a lot of things that they can do, but it's also to remember that you have to meet them where they are at, right? So you can't ask them to, you know, go from here to here. But I think that the first thing to do to start, I would say, would be if they have the possibility to regularly simply go out for a walk in nature somewhere, but without distractions. So this means not listening to a podcast or listening to some music or having someone, actually, if they could leave their phone at home and simply see if there's any kind of patch of nature. Now, maybe they're living somewhere where that's really hard to find, and maybe there could be at least a park or something, simply for the fact of reconnecting even visually with the colors of green and blue. Because there are actually studies showing that what they call chromotherapy, that colors have an impact on our brain and that the color blue and the color green are soothing and calming colors, as we can imagine with the blue sky and the green. And obviously that would be a natural thing. So if there would be just one, the very simplest thing in the world to see if they can have a regular walk without any kind of distraction. And then of course, on top of that, one of the things that I find is really helpful is to see if they can start a journaling practice. Simply see if they can write down every morning two or three pages in their in a book of just the thoughts in their heads so that they start to become aware, actually, of just how much stuff they have in there. We get them journaling every day. I like that. And I didn't prompt you to say that either. <laughs> Charlotte, tell us a bit about your clients. You know, I don't mean names or anything. And do you do online work with clients? So if anyone's listening to this podcast and they wanted to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Right. Yes. So I do work online. I tend to work, let's say, in a more holistic approach since I have the background of psychology and then the yoga. And I'm also an Ayurvedic practitioner, which is the Indian medicine. So I tend to work with people both online and offline in that kind of holistic approach. Now, online, that looks like therapeutical consultations. Um, and I have um, several clients in different parts of the world. So um, it works actually quite well. I was, I was not sure that it would be a good solution, but it actually works really well. And, and what we tend to do is that we usually start out with just understanding on all levels where they're at, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, whether it's even with their digestive system, actually, that they need to focus. And then we decipher basically in what way we want to orient the work that we have together. And then we continue usually on a weekly basis. And I have to say, at the end of the day, no matter what their initial issue is, it is very often a question of a mental work that we end up doing. Easiest way to get in touch with me would be either through social media or if you don't really enjoy social media, email as well. And that's quite simple. It's just charlotte at yogisha.com. People tend to often contact me through social media because it's also what I found very useful to kind of bring my work out to people. So through like things like Instagram or Facebook. Danny, have you got anything you'd like to add? I think that was fascinating. Thanks again, Charlotte. I think it's such a broad topic really, isn't it? All of this knowledge, you know, there's all this knowledge behind it, but I really think, you know, for any of our listeners that are in recovery, relate to this, struggling, 
just taking on board your initial advice of getting out for that walk is great advice. You know, if they could do nothing today but leave their phone at home and go for a walk. Because I think that is part of the process and it was for me, you know, and with me not understanding any of this, I, I kind of worked it out myself because it was a process of, oh, this feels good. I'm going to do more of it. This feels good. I'm going to do that too. And really, so you can start to learn yourself and gradually you want to. You want to do more and more because it feels so good. I think the one thing, given my background and male ego, I think it's really important for men in particular to understand just how valuable this can be and to stop being so pig-headed and sort of sucking it up. It's literally changed my life in a lot of ways since I've been doing the yoga and the meditation. Uh, Apart from physical, I know how to clear my head very quickly now, and that is just pure gold, just by sitting down for five or ten minutes and doing the breathing and the calmness and and everything. So I really urge anyone listening, men in particular, but women as well, but I'm speaking from a male perspective, if you poo-hoo this sort of thing, you are crazy. And I can tell you now, over the last seven or eight years, or the last four or five years since I've been doing yoga, I've had people who are, you know, brawny, labouring type people, tough and whatever, and they all swear by the yoga once because I keep at them until I get them to do it. So uh, it is invaluable. Charlotte, really appreciate you taking the time to come on and share your knowledge and experience with us. And I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast, if you want to know more, please contact Charlotte. I'm sure you're going to be in very, very good hands. Thank you so much, Graham, and thanks, Danny, as well. I was really honoured to be asked to join, and I had a really nice time chatting with you too. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button to stay in the loop on upcoming discussions. If you would like to get in touch with Charlotte, her details are in the podcast description below. To find out more about Reset My Future, the link to our website is also included in the description, and there you will find information on our Alternative to Rehab program a 12-week non-residential program for people who want to address their substance abuse issues, reset their path going forward, and feel excited about their future. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, where we regularly share recovery tips, success stories, and open up a discussion about what modern recovery looks like today. Thanks for listening.